Uh, if you're visiting for the first time, maybe you're here for a baptism this fall, we have been looking at the book of Psalms, particularly book one of the Psalms. Uh, book one is Psalm 1 through uh, 41. Now I hope that some of you remember what the theme has been. We were looking at Psalms because, we're, because we've been asking the question, is it possible to know the lyrics of the gospel, but you've never heard the music? And so what we have in the Psalms, and what we've looked at in the Psalms, particularly David, is a man who's wrestling with God and his responsibility to God. He's a created being, and not only that, but he's the king. And what is his responsibility? And David, unlike most of his contemporaries, and maybe some of us this morning... Didn't see God as a series of propositions that you talk about at the Starbucks and decide on whether he can get your attention or not. Or is he worthy of your attention? It's possible to continue in the Christian faith and know all the propositions, but it's never about that. It's never about the creeds. I know we talk about this a lot, but we have to keep talking about it because it's always about the person. Uh, Faith is not uh, something I hope and wish to be true. I hope it's true. I hope Christ is risen from the dead. It is a gift of God that he gives to you, the gift from God, to embrace all these things and to live uh, unto Christ. The famous pastor in New York City, uh, Tim Keller, put it splendidly this way before we come to our text. He said, you don't, you, you'll never come to Jesus if you're here today. Maybe you're skeptic. You're not sure you're here and you're visiting and, you're, and you know you're an agnostic or, or you're not sure what you want. He said, you will never come to know God through an airtight argument. Nobody can give those. But you come to an airtight person. And if you start looking at the scriptures and if you honestly say... Who is this person? I have no doubt in my mind you'll meet Christ. By God's grace. And you'll bow down in worship and adoration. So the question has been all fall. Have you been dancing to the music of the God? Are you hearing the music? No matter what your circumstances are in life. To have Christ is enough. Now, for the next two Sundays, I'm going to put it another way. Uh, Somebody has said this, as we think about Christmas and the advent of Christ, that God becomes flesh. Christmas is not something we celebrate, but something that has happened to us. You see, if you celebrate uh, Christmas every uh, December 25th, it's over on the 26th, and it kind of goes by uh, on the wayside. But when Christmas comes to you, Christmas is about Christ coming to us. It should blow your mind from time to time that he did that for me. O little town of Bethlehem, the last stanza puts it this way as we come to our text. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us we pray and cast out our sins and enter in and be born in us today. Uh, I would love to see one man or woman this morning Come to know Jesus Christ as the true and living God. Not some proposition. So if you would with that, let's turn to John 1, verses 1 through 14. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light has, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Father, in our remaining moments before we come and celebrate as one body the Lord's table, would you allow these words by your Spirit to be driven into our hearts in such a way that we are astounded at your love for us. And I pray that even today, perhaps this would be the first Christmas uh, that someone has not just celebrated, but has come to them in the person of Jesus. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Let me tell you what's really truly amazing about the Bible. Uh, is that it is a plausible storyline, even to the casual reader, if you're, if you're not a Christian. Anybody reads the Bible, it, it's a plausible story because what you have in the, in the Bible is a story about a God who's knowable, who creates, by the word of his mouth, he makes this great creation and everything he creates is good, unlike the pagan views of, of the material world. It's all good. And that he creates man as the penultimate of the creation And the story goes on like this, that man falls, and when he falls, that's why there's evil in the world. That's why you're evil. That's why you are duplicitous, and I'm duplicitous. And so there's evil in the world, and man can't do anything about that evil. God gives Ten Commandments later to show that we can't get it right. And then there's this redemption And so God sends his son and and he rescues us from the fact that we can't save ourselves. And then there's going to be this new heavens and a new earth and a new creation that will go on forever. Beautiful story. Makes sense. And by the way, it was written by uh, several uh, men, 27 over uh, with 66 books. I'll point this, this beautiful story. Now, 
I would think that that would be enough for one to go, you know, maybe the reason it makes so much sense is because it's true. It's the story behind all the stories. All the, all the fairy tales and everything, they're always pointing to this. Go to a movie. Most movies are about redemption. The good ones are. The ones that actually sell. Have you ever thought that maybe the Word of God is the Word of God, that it's true? The Westminster Confession, which is the confession of faith of us as Presbyterians, says this about the Bible. This is a beautiful way of putting it. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. And then he gives you the reasons. And the heavenliness of the matter, the clarity of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all its parts, the scope of the whole, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable uh, incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. Now, if, you've, if you're skeptical about that, I would, I'm, I'm serious. I, I believe that you've probably never read the Bible that much. Now, I'm not, maybe you have. But the reason I say this is, is because God is so gracious, He gives us four Gospels. To make it abundantly clear to explain to us who this man who lived 2,000 years ago is. Jesus Christ. And so you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. And I don't have time to get into that. I've actually got it on my notes. But hey, uh, for another time. Uh, but, but they're kind of giving us Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, Matthew's writing to Jesus. who quotes a lot of scriptures. Old Testament. That's his audience. Luke's writing to Gentiles. But they're all kind of giving the facts of the person of Christ. Now they're called Gospels. But what we have in John is John is giving us the why of the facts. So Matthew and, and Luke, you have the Gospel story, right? I mean, you have the, you have the narrative. You have the, 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 the narrative that you should read with your family of a Christmas. Um, I remember as a kid growing up in a family that was very nominal. But we had this little girl named Julie who was my cousin. And every year she wanted to read uh, the Matthew account. And, and I'd be, man, listen, can we just open the presents? She'd read it. She'd read it every year. She'd read Julie's her name. She'd read it every year. Every year we'd read it. And man, that got into my system. But you see, what, what John is doing is he's trying to tell us the why of Christmas. The why of the Incarnation. He was the beloved of Jesus. If anybody knew Jesus, it was John. And so as we come to our text, it teaches us about Jesus as we come to the Christmas season and how it can make the Christmas celebration more than that. But Christmas comes to you. So, so here's the first thing that we see from our text. And all these are pretty clear in the text. I mean, abundantly clear. And the first is this. Jesus is... The Word of God. Now wake up. Because that means, as we will see, that He's your God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word, in the beginning was the, the Word, and the Word was with God, was God, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, it's pretty clear. He comes right out of the gate saying that. John is saying this. In fact, what you have in verses 1 through 18 is John's prologue. 
John is going to say, this person, I beheld his glory. We'll see that in verse uh, 14. And the rest of the book of John is, is to, for us to worship. In fact, John tells us in John chapter 20 that the reason that he wrote the book, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but they're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him you may have life in His name. He's telling you the reason, He's telling you the reason of the magnitude of what we're looking at is so that you might have life because, friends, there is no life apart from Jesus. There is only death. And even if you don't believe in a hereafter, you certainly know that if there's no resurrection of the dead, then when you die, that's it. And if that's the case, there's no real point being here. There's no real point in your life. Let's come on, let's face it. You can't find meaning in this life. But you see, the facts are to produce faith. Indeed, we learn that Jesus, who is in this world, brings life to those who put their faith in the facts. You put your faith in the facts. So what is John telling us about Jesus here? Just, just a couple of things and then we move to the next point. Well, in this, in this section, he's showing us Jesus in his relationship to, to eternity. And the way he does this, he does this through the word logos. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Now, in the minds of both the Jews and the Greeks, they understood exactly why John used that word. Now, we don't think about words as much anymore. But, but the word logos to the Greek meant the, 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 divine, um, the divine plan. There, there's... What makes it all tick? Why are things the way they are? And that's why it says uh, that uh, the Jews seek wisdom. In fact, I, can't, I tried to find this. It was either Plato or Socrates. But one of those philosophers said, Oh, that the Logos would come to earth and explain. And of course, the Jews, the way they understood the Logos is the word, when the word, when God speaks, things happen. It's word in action. You know why there's a creation? Why is there something rather than nothing? Because God spoke. And out of nothing comes everything. My fact, our text tells us that Jesus is the one who nothing was made apart from him. As we'll see. And so John is telling us about this word. Paul puts it this way in Colossians. That he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now this is a man that hated Jesus, okay? But let me tell you what, he met the person first. He probably read all the arguments about Christianity and he hated it. And then he met Jesus Christ. He met the airtight person. And then when he did, all of a sudden, everything starts making sense. And he's not an opponent of Christ saying who he is. He is a proponent. He speaks. You see, Jesus, in relationship to time, what this is saying is he was before time. 
He has not created. This is what got Jesus in trouble in John chapter 8 when he said, Before the Father was, before Abraham was, I am. What got him killed? Why? Because the light hates, uh, the darkness hates the light. Because you see, well, we'll see this in a moment, but the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection, it's all bets are off on, on other things. But notice it says that he is with the Father. He is God and he is with God. With the Father. I mean, and so what does it mean to be with somebody? It means to see them face to face. And so Jesus, in John 14, when the question is asked by Andrew to show us the Father, he says this. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak by my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, folks, we need to get real, real, real here. Especially if you're a skeptic. If you think Jesus is just some ordinary guy, then you got it all wrong. You have not really studied In fact, one of the reasons I think that we resist this is because of the attribute of his deity and who he is impacts us as we see in verse 3 through 5, and that is this, that he is life and the light of men. Whose life? Your life. And whose light? Your light. Anything else is darkness. Now, you know, when I was uh, in college, I took a lot of theology classes that denied this. This book of John especially. In fact, I had professors who hated the book of John. My religion professors. In fact, they would say that uh, actually, uh, you, you can't really quote, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, because uh, no man comes to the Father but by me. You can't really quote that because Jesus didn't really say that. I'm like, really, who said that? Well, 200 years later, the cult trying to keep everything together, they had to come up with all these myths. But you know, since I've been in college, they've been finding manuscripts that date back to the first century of the book of John. Kind of blows that theory. You see, you see, Jesus, and I'm going to say this to you before I move to my next point. If you do not see him as almighty God then you'll remain in darkness and you'll come up with all these reasons as not to believe because really you have the same problem that Adam and Eve had and that is I just want to do my thing. I, I want to be my own light. I want to be my own life. But the problem with that is don't you understand how much you destroy everybody else around you? This is the way I see it. This is the way. This is my opinion. Whether you're liberal or conservative and you hate each other. And I could go on and on, but in your own family, you see. C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus. He wrote an essay. What are we to make of Jesus Christ? And he was an atheist, remember? If you had gone to the Buddha and asked, are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, son, you're still in, in the veil of illusion." If you'd gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Muhammad 
Muhammad and ask, are you Allah? Now, he wrote this 40 years ago. He would have rent his clothes and then cut your head off. Uh, Confucius, are you heaven? He would have replied, remarks uh, such as this are not in accord with the nature and in bad taste. So here's the point. If you're going to say Jesus is a good teacher and he's, he's awesome, and maybe even you believe he's son of God. I don't know. Then you know it has a claim on your life right down the first row and the second row and the third row. Everybody in here, you know people riding up and down the road right now? He has claim. Because all things were made through him. But not only is he, he is, he is God, and we see him in relationship to eternity, but we see him in relationship to time. I mean, this is a real mind blower. Now, look at what it says uh, in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This Word that was from the beginning with God and was God is now in the flesh. And so, so somewhere in eternity, the eternal Son of God takes upon Himself a human nature born of a virgin. And if we got in a time machine and we went backwards, let me tell you what you would see born in that manger. Not a story. God in the flesh. And so we see him in relationship uh, to time. But what's interesting to know is it says very clearly, it doesn't use the term he became man. It says says that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Now why uh, uh, why does John carefully use this word? Well, because he is emphasizing how far he came and didn't lose his divine, divine identity. The divine person in the womb of Mary takes upon himself flesh. Now let me tell you another reason it uses the word flesh is because flesh always speaks of our weakness, doesn't it? You're but flesh. You know, I'm, I'll be 60 years old my next birthday. And I wake up and i got a headache now and I'm thinking, huh, Maybe it's more than a headache. I'm not hypochondriac, okay. I'm pretty tough. But, uh, you know, I mean, really, I, it's just kind of my, my prop my legs up and my knees feel bad. He's not hurt. You just kind of see things kind of winding down. You realize the flesh is the flesh, and, and you start going, I'm 60, I'm on the back strap, I'm at back stretch. How much longer are y'all going to let me be your pastor and all that? You're like, I think he forgets things, you know. The flesh in this, in this world. Job, I've been reading Job through my new, through my new Bible that Alex suggested. If, y'all, if you haven't gotten it, you need to get it. But anyhow, I'm reading through Job without the verses. Beautiful. And it's unbelievable what Job, the oldest book, is wrestling with these things. God allows Satan to touch him in his flesh. And, and Job says this, man's days on this life are few. And filled with sorrow. Does that sound divine, like divine truth to you? Martin Heidegger, Heidegger, who was a German philosopher, uses this term, saying that all we are is just thrown into the universe. 
And you know, if there's no Christ, no resurrection, no Jesus, then that's all you are. You're thrown out there in the universe. And if you don't have any hope, I can understand why. But Jesus comes in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Let's just tell you what it means before I come to my, my final point here. It means he became vulnerable. You know, there's lots and lots of stories about people who have been in trouble. And somebody's screaming from the, uh, from the building, uh, screaming up, just saying, please help me, please help me. And nobody does anything because of fear of their own life. And so there's nobody there to rescue. And so the person dies because a person uh, doesn't want to take on that vulnerability. That's exactly what Jesus does. But he didn't come in wondering if he's going to get shot. He becomes a babe in order to be your substitute, in order to deserve, uh, to die the de death you deserve and you will die if you reject Christ. Pretty abundantly clear. But he comes, he makes himself vulnerable. The Almighty God becomes a babe. Now, friends, who could make this up? And so that is the glory. You know, it says he tabernacled among us. So, so he comes in the flesh and he tabernacled among us. Now why that word is chosen very carefully. You know why that word is, is chosen? It's in relationship to beholding his glory. Do you remember how Moses wanted to know who God was? He says, I want to see you. And he said, if you see me, you will die. And so he puts him in a cleft of the rock. And the glory of God passes by. And uh, in, in the cleft, he, he doesn't die, but he, he's, he somewhat sees the glory of God. But now John is saying, we behold the glory of God because now he has tabernacled with us. You know why God made the tabernacle? It's so he might dwell among his people that he chosen, but they were a wicked people. And so he breaks the tabernacle so he might dwell with them, but he is behind the veil. Why? Because you see, when the relationship is broken, I'm telling you, in your own life, you know, when you, you break a relationship, there has to be reconciliation. Nobody could go in, but only once a year as a high priest. Well, you see, all those things are pointing to Christ, and now here's the glory of God. He's in a babe. Does that blow your mind? It does mine, I'm telling you. You can't make it up. And so John and Peter, James, saw his glory at the transfiguration. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. So the last thing, and, we, we, and I need to be brief on this. How are, we, how are we going to respond to this amazing truth? Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, or you're a housewife, or you're depressed, or you think you have reasons to be angry with God. Well, notice what he says in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, or the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, this is text is saying to everybody in here, and if you're like 13 years old and you're going to, you know, I don't really, I 
kind of check out about halfway through the sermon. You don't need to check out now. Or if you're a high school student, if you're a college student. This text says we have to do something with Jesus. You know why? Because it's telling us that He is God. And you're going to do one of two things. You're going to be like the Jews who seek some, uh, you know, some sign, which is all about pride. God, you show me. And then maybe I'll believe. Or you're going to be like the Greeks. You know, the Greeks sought wisdom. And God says in 1 Corinthians that through, the fool, through wisdom no man will know God. And you see, both of them are demanding something, and that's pride. But let me tell you this morning who the gospel is for. It's for you who go, would you do that for me? Are you telling me it's not by works, it's not by anything I do? That God has come on the rescue for me? Then you're hearing the music. And then you don't celebrate Christmas. It comes to you. Has that happened to you this morning? I don't know what you'll do in the day of judgment to deny this babe born in a manger 2,000 years, God in the flesh. But not only that, what are we doing with this? To to go, you know, Lord, this is amazing. What 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 are you to do with it? I mean, it means that, that you give everything. You cannot be indifferent about Christmas. This forces our hand. This is not to be guilt. This is just a reality. And so this morning as we come to the Lord's table, I would encourage you you to come to Jesus. He's awesome. God for you. That's what Christmas is about. Let's pray together.